I presume most of you have occasionally had to do a little spring cleaning. Some of you maybe have had a loved one who has passed from this life and you have gone to their home and you found it necessary to go through their possessions. And occasionally someone walks out and says, look what I have found. I found something special. I found Mama and Daddy's journal from when they were young. I found the family Bible, and it has in it all of our family history. I found this. I found that. Brother Jason just read to us where they found the book of the law of God. For just a few minutes, I'd like to introduce this to you by giving you a little history lesson, if you will. If you begin to think about the kings of Israel and Judah, some of those kings were just very mean scoundrels. I mean, as bad as you could get. Others were good men, men with a heart loving God, loving His law. I could run through a long list, but I want to begin with a king by the name of Hezekiah. He was a good man who sought righteous reforms. When he rose to power, sin was extremely prevalent among God's people, particularly as you think about the worship. In 2 Chronicles chapter 29, in verses 1 through 8, it talks about all the things that he did, but if you'll notice specifically verse 2, It says that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Verse 3 and following talks about how he repaired the house of the Lord and the doors that were on it. If you go to verse 5 through verse 7, he calls for the Levites, he calls for the priest to come to the holy place. And then in verse 6 he says, For our fathers have trespassed. And done evil in the eyes of the Lord God. They have forsaken him. They've turned their faces away from his dwelling place. And turned back their backs on him. They've also shut up the doors of the vestibule. Put out the lamps. And have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. When they put out their lamps. Imagine if you will, this morning, as we leave this place, the lights will be turned off. But you know, we'll be back tonight. We'll be back at 6 o'clock. And we'll be back singing and offering praise to God again. They turned the lights out in God's house and had left them out. And here is Hezekiah coming and saying, It's time for us to have a religious revival. Oh, you think things are going to go well. But then you're introduced to his son, Manasseh. Manasseh was incredibly evil. What makes it even worse, he reigned for 55 years. Not only was he evil, his son Amnon followed him, Hezekiah's grandson. He also did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He reigned an additional two years. I don't know if you can just grasp or wrap your minds around it. I'm 60 years old. 
for 57 years. They had nothing but evil and ungodliness. And when you go to 2 Kings chapter 21, we read of the things that he did. Just notice with me for just a moment. It said, He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all the abominations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal, made a wooden image as Ahab king of Israel had done, and he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He also made his sons pass through the fire, practiced soothsaying, witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even carved an image of Asherah that he had made in, in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever Manasseh and Amnon basically abandoned the worship of God. They began to worship and lead the people to worship idols. Now I want you to follow that 57 year period of evil with the rising of a good man. Jeremiah is going to give you a picture of how bad things were during that time. He said in Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 31, the prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule by their own power and my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? Jeremiah is saying, you can't depend on the prophets, you can't depend upon the priests, you can't even depend upon the princes. And the people themselves are perverse. But then you're introduced to Josiah, an eight-year-old boy who has risen to become the king of Judah. And what you read about him is in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles is that at age 16 he began to seek the Lord and at age 20 he began to purge the land of all the ungodliness. I just want to make reference. I can't read all of this. Uh, Time won't permit me to do so. But if you'll notice it says that the wooden images, the carved images, the molded images... He broke down the altars of Baal in his presence. The incense altars which were above them he cut down. The wooden images, the carved images, the molded images. He broke in pieces, made dust of them, scattered upon those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priest on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. But he didn't just stop there. He also did the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon as far as Naphtali and all around with axes. You see a young man here who's standing up and saying, I'm going to lead the people in the right way. 
when he turned 26 years of age, the 18th year of his reign, that's when he began to change things in Jerusalem at the temple. You see, the temple, in 57 years of neglect in the worship of God, it had become just a building. It seemed to have no real meaning to the people. Sometimes people drive by and look at various memorials in our country, and they may not even know why they are there. You know, you drive by the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument, the Jefferson Memorial if you're in Washington, D.C. What do these monuments mean and why are they here? Why were they built? What is this building that's called the temple and what does it mean? Look at verse 8 of chapter 34. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, Azaliah, Messiah, the governor of the city, Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. It's time now to clean the house. It's time now to repair it. Get it back in order. You contend reading, and they find a book. There's a book that's been found. Here it is. What does this book mean? What is it all about? And they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word saying, All that was committed to your servants, they are doing. And then, if you will notice verse 18, Shaphan reads it before the king. Do you know what Josiah does? Josiah tears his clothes. He said, we've not obeyed this book. Here we are, we're learning now that we're not living like God wants us to live. Fifty-seven years of ungodly rule. Eighteen years of Josiah trying to turn things around. And now you have the book that has been found. How could this have happened? Could it happen again? Here's what we're going to do in our lesson this morning. I'm only going to use two points. There are only going to be two subpoints under each of the two, so there's only going to be four major things we're going to try to accomplish. We're going to talk about how the Word of God was lost. How did they lose it? How do you and I lose it? How was the Word of God found? Is it possible that you and I have lost God's Word and we need to be searching for it and we need to be trying to find it And we need to be doing what they were doing. Let's begin, first of all, with how it was lost. There's two ways that it was lost in their day. Some of the people rejected it. They said, we don't want it. Get it away from us. Other people neglected it. If you think about the rejection, and you think about what was said, just look at some of the the verses that lead up to some of this. 
In Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 10, he says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. Do you realize there's a lot of people that don't want God's book? They don't delight in it. They don't like what it has to say. Jeremiah 8 and verse 9, the wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? You call them wise men, but they've rejected God's word. So why are they wise? Why do you think they're so intelligent? Why do you think they're so smart if they have rejected God's word? Isaiah is pictured as saying to the people, woe to, or who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy right things. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Did you hear that? Don't tell us what is correct. Tell us what we want to hear. Make it easy for us. If you have to lie to us, lie to us. Folks, that's outstanding. Not in a good way. Lie to us if you have to. Jeremiah 23, verse 17. They continually say to those who despise me, The Lord has said, You shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, No evil shall come upon you. Oh, they lied to them. Don't worry, you can live any life you want to live and God won't care. Verse 26, how long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of deceit of their own heart who try to make the people forget my name by the dreams which they tell everyone of his neighbor. And their fathers forgot my name for Baal. He who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. Jeremiah says, if you're going to speak, don't lie to the people. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Oh, that's Old Testament back there. 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles. But what about in the New Testament? Paul says to Timothy, I charge you before the Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead and his appearing in kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires because they have itching ears they will heap up for themselves teachers. Do you believe that there are people in the religious world today who are searching for a preacher who will tell them what they want to hear rather than what God has actually said? Absolutely. They reject what God says. That book doesn't mean anything anymore. There's an academic and there's a practical rejection of God's Word. 
I've studied through two or three courses that were done by a man by the name of Bart Ehrman. Dr. Ehrman teaches religion at the University of North Carolina. He's extremely influential in a lot of religious circles. He's also either an atheist or an agnostic. And you say, why is he teaching religion then? He is extremely influential. But you know, a lot of people look at people like Dr. Ehrman and say, there is a man who's rejecting God's word. You know, there's a lot of people who reject it practically. They're embarrassed by what the Bible teaches on things like fornication, where two people decide they want to live together without being married, or where you have adultery involved, a man divorces his wife, not for the cause of fornication, marries another, and everybody says, well, that's okay, that's okay. They don't want you to quote Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9, because it's confrontational. What about alcohol, drunkenness? What about homosexuality, immodesty? You want me to go down the list? Some people are embarrassed by it, and so they reject the Bible so they can do what they want to do. Very quickly, though, more likely, the greater cause is neglect. Some reject, but some neglect it. I want you to listen to Judges chapter 2, verse 10. You know, I, I love studying the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy. And then the book of Joshua as they conquer the land. But then you get to the book of Judges. And here's the appraisal. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Here's another generation. They've come along. They've not been taught. They don't really care. All of those great events recorded by Moses are no longer important to them. It even begins to take practical application in the lives of religious people. When you go a little bit further to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, Eli, that great judge, you know, the one who helped influence Samuel, we learn that his sons were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. Here's young men serving in the service of God, and yet they don't even know God. They don't care. They're doing, they're just going through some sort of motion. When I get to the New Testament, I recognize it's very possible that Christians can actually neglect their spiritual lives. He says, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have spoken, or we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Oh yeah, it's, it's possible that you and I can neglect it. 
Someone said, well, how do you do that? Oh, it's very easy. You go a little bit further in the book of Hebrews. He said in chapter 10 and verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. Do you realize that some people have made a practice of not assembling with the saints? Not assembling to worship? And what happens to them? Pretty soon their their knowledge begins to decrease. Their fervor of their faith begins to wane. They're no longer walking with God. And to many of these people, that Bible becomes just a book on the shelf. Right next to the Encyclopedia Britannica and Webster's Dictionary. And it has no meaning. And pretty soon their lives have no substance to them. I can't stop there. How do you find it? Well, historically, you go back and you look at what occurred here in this passage. You have a young man, Josiah, who recognizes this is a message from God. And I am going to have a renewal, a restoration, and then I'm going to pursue trying to learn it and to keep it. So if you want to use the two words here, renew and pursue. Let's talk about renewal for just a little bit. This revival led to a repentance and a renewed desire to serve God. For Josiah, in his day, what it did, he said, okay, we've not been keeping the feast of the Passover. We've not been keeping this feast. We've not been keeping that feast. We've got to get busy of doing what God has told us to do. I'm teaching the book of Nehemiah on Sunday mornings, and there's so much there that you you really skip over if you're not careful. I just want to make reference to three verses out of chapter 8 of Nehemiah. Talking about Ezra, it says, Then he read from it, that is the book of the law of God, from the open square that is in front of the water gate from the morning until the midday, before the men and the women and all those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Okay, Ezra stood up to read. He's standing up on this pulpit they built for that purpose. He's elevated so everybody can hear his voice. He reads from it and everybody's listening. What is it saying? Drop down to verse 8. So they read distinctly from the book of the law and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Here's what God says. Here's what it means. Here's what we're supposed to be doing. Verse 18. Also, day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. You know one of the things it will take For us to find the law of God is we've got to actually read it. 
Shaphan brings that book of the law and he reads it before the king. That's when the king understands we've not been doing what we're supposed to be doing. Okay, we read this book. I hope you're reading your Bible on a regular basis. If not, shame on you. If I'm not reading it myself, shame on me. We need to be putting the Word of God before the eyes of the people. Reading it so people can know what it says. What Josiah did, as he heard those words, he tore his clothes. Which was a sign of sadness. Joel 2 verse 13 says, So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. He relents from doing harm. Do you know what? God doesn't want to punish a one of us. What He wants us to do is not really just tear our clothes. He wants us to be broken in our hearts, penitent, if you will. Then you've got to not just stop and say, okay, I heard it, but I've got to keep pursuing it as if it has the answers for everything I need in life. In Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, And when they say to you, Seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, Should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living to the law and to the testimony? He's saying focus your hearts and your minds on God's word that is able to direct your lives. Stay away from the so-called fake people, the wizards, the spiritist, the occult. You don't need to read your horoscope in the newspaper every day. You need to read the Bible because it has the answers. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Acts 17, verse 11, these were more fair-minded, more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Here's the challenge. I look at Hezekiah, and I look at Manasseh, and I look at Amnon, and I ask the question, Did he teach those boys? Did he impress upon them the devotion of serving God? You and I, as we look at these little little boys and little girls running around here, do we impress upon them, love God, love His Word, read His Word, Learn His Word. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. They ought to be so much a part of your life. Those of your family ought to know that you love the Word of God and it's become a part of who you are. Chapter 4, verse 9, Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. In other words, you've got to make sure, you've got to keep them in yourself. But then he says, And teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. You want to keep the law of God from being lost? Make sure that everybody knows where it's at. That everybody in your family knows the truth. Israel lost something precious. And what's sad is never knew that it was gone. Here is the temple of the Lord. This building dedicated for the worship of the God of Israel. The law of the Lord is in this house. And now, 50 plus years later, they find the book. Wow. You look at this church building here. This place was built with money contributed to the Lord for worship, for Bible study. Could you envision some 50 years into the future? About 2068. I know that sounds like a long time away. Still a sign out on the the road, the Church of Christ. And somebody walking in the door and they walk up and they open one of these drawers and they say, hmm, there's a book right there. I wonder what that book's for. Hadn't read that book in a long, seen that book in a long time. Oh, they begin to open up and they begin to read. You know what? We've not been teaching God's plan of salvation correctly. In fact, We didn't even know that there was one. We've not been teaching people to worship right. We've got to go back to this book. It's possible that a new generation can find a renewed sense of urgency for the message. I love our kids here. We've got to make sure that we give them what was given to us. A love for God's Word, a sense of urgency of sharing that message around the world. They found it. So can we. If you'll open your songbooks now or look to the screen, we're going to sing number 270. If you are not a Christian... Let me tell you something that is the most important thing you will hear today. 
God loves you. He doesn't want you to die and spend an eternity in hell. God wants you to be with Him. He wants to save your soul. He loved you so much that He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for you so that your sins could be washed away. But you have to accept that gracious offer by believing in Jesus that He is the Son of God, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Him and being baptized. That's what that book says. If you're not sure, I'll be glad to sit down and talk with you about it. And you may be a child of God who has been like some of those of the Old Testament and you have neglected God. And you've neglected your duty. And you know you need to repent. What a gracious God we serve whose love is manifested toward you giving you an opportunity to be restored. Would you come while together we stand and sing?